Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, September 20th, we are studying Deuteronomy 27, verses 9 to 26. Moses gives Israel further instructions about what they will do when they have crossed over the Jordan River, how some of the tribes will stand on Mount Gerizim for blessings, and some will stand on Mount Ebal for curses. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Ryan Agrotowitz. Pastor Agrotowitz serves as Associate Pastor and Headmaster at Grace Lutheran Church and School in Brenham, Texas. Pastor Agrotowitz, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you, Pastor Apple. It's a pleasure to be here as always. As we get started today, Pastor Agrotowitz, let's talk context. What should we know about this section of Deuteronomy 27 today? I think the biggest thing to know is it's getting towards the tail end of Moses' ministry to God's people. Um, so, I mean, something of a farewell address, I think, is fair. And so, since he is coming to the end of his time, much of it is instruction on what to do once the people cross over the Jordan. Now, we know uh, Moses will not go into the Promised Land. He will die beforehand. So he's taking special care to give careful instructions to the people of God, um, lest they they fall away, lest they become a, a curse unto God, and we're going to hear about those today. So for the reader um, who, who has, let's just say, if you're a reader of Holy Writ and you started at Genesis, you've gotten a, um, a, uh, a heavy dose of Moses, his writings, you know, recording Genesis for us. We've seen his work in Exodus, the writings, of course, in Leviticus, Numbers, and now Deuteronomy is coming to a close. So we've had quite a bit of Moses and that journey from from uh, Egypt into the Promised Land, which is about to happen. And, you know, you can, you can read this kind of like a pastor who is you know, preaching one of his final sermons yeah. to his people, and I think that is helpful in terms of seeing the importance of this word, these words, the weight of these words. I mean, when you know these words are going to be your last, uh, it, it does give, you know, a significant meaning to the text. Yeah, I think that's a, an important point for all of the book of Deuteronomy to understand this as Moses' farewell sermon of sorts. And particularly now, as we are at the very end of the book, there are still several chapters, but as Moses is winding down, to keep that in mind, that the these are his last words to Israel, he knows it as he gives these instructions that lends that weight to his words. So let's start reading. We're in Deuteronomy 27, beginning at verse 9 today. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. That day Moses charged the people, saying, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse, 
Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moved who moves his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife, because he has uncovered his father's nakedness. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with any kind of animal. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. That's our text today. That's Deuteronomy 27, verses 9 to 26. Pastor Agrotowitz, get us started with those first two verses. Moses and the Levitical priests are both speaking, we're told in verse 9. And keep silence, listen. That's a pretty key word in Deuteronomy. What does Moses have to say at the outset here? Hush and open your ears. <clears throat> keep silence in here. And I know I've said this on this program before, but as a as a headmaster, as a teacher, this is what I, I tell I tell students a lot. Keep silence and hear. Hush, <laughs> stop talking and just listen to what to what, what your God is saying to you. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. This becoming isn't something they've achieved, but it's really a, a proclamation of who these people are. Uh, you have become the people of the Lord, your God, because God has made them his people. We never want to see the Israelites. As a group of people who have merited their identity, God has given them favor out of his grace and his love. And then in verse 10, you shall, you know, therefore obey the voice of your of your God. This word for obey, yes, it, it does entail the doing, but this Hebrew word shema, is is translated as as here if you want a real literal raw translation but it's hearing it's a hearing of faith and that's why they obey and that's why uh faith faith wants to do what 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 the lord tells them and you know i want to talk more about that especially in verse 26 but disobeying isn't just some rigid outward doing but it is a matter of the heart it is a matter of god's word even creating faith to want to to follow and do what the Lord is telling them. And then this this voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, well, there you have, you know, I would argue the doctrine of inspiration, that the commandments and statutes mm-hmm. that Moses is recording, that's the voice of your God. And for people today who want to hear God's voice, hey, that's great. Open your Bibles. You know, it's right there. That's right. Yeah. Great advice. Yeah. If you want to know what God says, open the Bible. That's where you'll hear. And and, sure. and certainly what Moses speaks. And the Levitical priests are speaking here, too. They're going to play a role later in the, the curses that are spoken. The Levitical priests are joining Moses in this teaching, be quiet, 
listen. You have become the people of the Lord your God. Good news there that will influence the way they hear these words. Now, in in verse 11, uh, Moses charges the people and tells them something that they will do when they cross over the Jordan River. And this the tribes are going to be split up, six on one mountain, six on another, blessings from one mountain, curses from another. Take us into this this scenario that Moses sets up in verses 11 to 13. Yeah, sure. Um, so the 12 tribes are separated. There are two mountains. You know, I pulled out a map of um, this time period as best as it can be constructed, and there are two stars on here with Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, and they are to the west of the Jordan. When you have crossed over, I think those are words of promise as well. I mean, if there was any Israelite who was worried about it, here is Moses giving them the promise, hey, this is going to happen. When you have crossed over, uh, six tribes on one side, six on the other. I tried to find some sense as to why, you know, uh, Simeon, Levi, Judah, and so forth were going to be speaking the blessing, and those for the curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, and Zebulun, are going to be for the, uh, um, for the, uh, for the curse. And I I couldn't make any sense of it, because if you read about these characters in Genesis, you know, uh, Simeon, for example, Judah, Reuben, they all had sins upon them. But perhaps that is the point. God's ways are not our our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And law and gospel, blessing and curse, you know, it's an indiscriminate proclamation, meaning it's for all people to hear, and because, of course, the Lord wants all people to repent and believe. This would have been, I mean, to to see, you know, six tribes on one, six on the other, I think there is some visual symbolism here of that would have been good for the people to know God's God's Word is, is blessing and it's curse. Uh, we might even talk about this in terms of law and the gospel, a law that when God tells us what to do, He means it, and there are threats and punishments attached to His law, and of course the Gospel is His promise of sins forgiven when we fail and we do, and we repent and believe upon hearing God's gracious words, His Word calling us to repentance, and then then His Word confirming for us His promise that our sins are put away. So lots wrapped up here, but yeah, again, trying to make sense of why I looked in the commentaries and didn't get get far on that, but um, perhaps that is the point. They cross over and they see, you know, here's the blessing, here is the curse. And we know faith goes after the blessing, but our sinful flesh does things that just brings curses upon us. Yeah, I mean, I I looked in some commentaries, too, and was not able to find... There, there are answers out there or thoughts, but even Professor Harstad in his commentary says none of them are, are really all that satisfying as to a, an answer. The, the one that maybe I could see a little bit is that the ones that are on Mount Gerizim are all sons of Jacob by his legal wives, Leah and Rachel. And the ones that are on the left include the the four who are his sons, according to their the concubines. But even then, the ones who are on the left, uh, there's two who are also children of Leah and, and Rachel there too. So it, none of those answers are quite satisfying. And I think what, what you suggest about, maybe that's the point, is that God's law and God's gospel, they both are spoken to all people. And it, it's not about you know trying to figure out who earned the spot on one mountain or the other, but rather right. God 
God's word is spoken. I think that's helpful. It, it reminded me of a, a little bit what we talked about in Deuteronomy chapter 14, where God defines clean and unclean animals. And on the one hand, you know, maybe there's a reason for some of that. But on the other hand, it's God's word that defines what's clean and unclean. And when he speaks it, it's good. And so maybe again, something, I think that's along the lines of what you're suggesting, that it's God's word here. He defines it. It's for all people. I think that's that's a helpful thought. Uh, one one thing on the mountains that I, I found out that I, I thought was helpful is that when you're facing east, which is the, the direction of orientation for the ancient world especially, when you're facing east, Mount Gerizim is on your right and Mount Ebal is on your left. And perhaps that the, that's the reason, at least for the which mountain gets is the blessings and which is the curses. When you're facing east, you've got the mountain of blessing on your right, the mounting of curses on your left. That's the one piece of geography that I thought was helpful. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> right, and that's what my map shows as well. Uh, if you're facing east, Gerizim's on the right, and Ebal is on the left, yeah. So from these two mountains, then, there's going to be blessings and curses spoken. The Levites are going to do that. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, the rest of the chapter then is the curses that are spoken. There are 12 of them. Uh, before, before we start looking at individual ones, Pastor Agrotowitz, maybe just give us an overall sense. What is there a theme running through these curses? What are we going to see as we, we run through them as a whole? Well, that's a very good question. Um, I think we can say these curses are bracketed by by the first commandment. And so the first one, when we get into it, it's going to talk about images and these things that are abominations before the Lord. And then the last one, you know, confirming the words by doing them, you know, faith in the one true God is going to produce even a desire to do the right thing, even as that desire has to combat a sinful flesh. Um, and as we work through those, it, you know, there, there is a theme in the sense they... they they kind of follow the Ten Commandments, but very, very loosely. We're going to see the Fourth Commandment come up in here. But there are some interesting things, like moving a neighbor's landmark. Um, that's maybe not something we think about until we dive in and we find this is actually very appropriate to stuff happening today. Serving the neighbor is is also the gist of these things, and we're going to see that in terms of like uh, you know a blind man misleading a blind man on the road, and that's not just with blind men, but we'll talk more about that serving those who are weak, which is a theme that runs throughout the New Testament, and then of course the sexual sins get a lot of press here as they do in the New Testament because these are just sins mankind has always struggled with. So you know certainly we're going to hear cursings about that stuff, but you know, if I had to condense this into a theme, you know, I, I think what I would be comfortable saying is, really, this is the two tables of the Ten Commandments in this sense. You know, you hear about, you know, your faith, your relationship with God, and then these curses are going to address your relationship with the neighbor. Yeah, I think that's helpful. And I think those those first two in particular really set that stage. Uh, verse 15, dealing with the matter of the first commandment very explicitly. So there's the first table of the law. And then verse 16, dealing with the fourth commandment, there's the second table of law. So I think you, you do see that as a on the whole. But again, we're going to see the Ten Commandments at play throughout, sometimes more loosely than others, not always in order, but certainly those perform form a foundation. So let, let's talk about the first one. Cursed be the man who makes a carved 
or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. There's a lot there. Let's just start with that word curse that we're going to hear over and over again. Help us into this first one. Right. So when you look up that word curse in a Hebrew concordance, which I, I usually try to do because I'm interested in where these words occur, you know, two things jumped out. One, this section in Deuteronomy um, contains this word cursed more than any other section in all the Old Testament. So that should be important. It's really highlighted here. But the first occurrence of the word cursed is in Genesis 3.14, when God curses the serpent for, of course, what he does to Eve, you know, who, who then, you know, Adam, they both succumb into sin. So, wow, to see this word being plucked from Genesis 3.14, and now Moses is using it here, means the person who is cursed is, is nothing short of being in the league with Satan. It's a pronouncement that you are cursed on the same level as Satan is. So that should, you know, highlight for us the real severity of this word. This is a cursed, uh, to, to be cursed in this sense <laughs> means you are forsaken, you are outside the pale of the kingdom, you are no different than the devil. That's where you're at. So I, I want to make that point to the hearers of this. These are, these are serious pronouncements, serious sins, and you know we'll get into the gravity of these sins as we, as we take apart these curses one by one. So that's what I would say about you know, the first word, cursed. I mean, look at Genesis 3.14, and that's going to give you, it's going to shape your thinking of, of what we're dealing with here. And then you have the the carved and cast metal images, um, and and the Lord talks about them being set up in secret. You know, if it's made by the hands of a craftsman, well, that means someone is going to some great lengths to to make to make these idols. And humanity today goes to great lengths to make and keep their idols. But this idea of it being done in secret, as if no one is going to see you. I mean, that's, that may be arguably worse, because you think you can get away with it, and the devil deludes you into thinking that, hey, no one's watching, it's okay, go ahead and worship your God. And one can get very complacent and lulled into thinking, hey, it's okay, I can have my false gods, and no one is watching, when in fact, no, not only does God see them, but he pronounces one cursed who has made such images. It's an abomination. That's another powerful word as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and the matter of secret is one that will show up sometimes very explicitly in these curses and other times pretty implicitly. A number of these things that receive a curse are are things that could be done in secret that maybe you would think no one knows about. And yet before the eyes of God, he sees it, he knows, and so this curse applies. Starting off again with the first commandment here in verse 15, maybe before we leave this first one, we can pick up that refrain that comes at the end of all of these, and all the people shall answer and say, Amen. That seems maybe seems a little strange that here's a curse, and everyone says, yeah, Amen. Almost like, I don't know, maybe this happens to you, Pastor Grotowitz, when you're reading the, the gospel reading, and, and Jesus closes with something like, in that place there will be weeping of, and gnashing of teeth, and, and you're supposed to say, this is the gospel of the Lord. You know, it, it seems a little strange, but but it still is the word of God, and so amen is the, is the appropriate response. Maybe talk a little bit about the, the people's response to each of these curses. Right. Well, this is the response of a believer. This is a response of what the people of God say. I think about the small catechism defining amen. 
when in the small catechism, amen, amen means yes, yes, it shall be so. It shall be a faithful proclamation, it shall be true. And so to say amen to this is to say this word that is spoken by God, it shall be. And that's how a Christian, that's how a believer should respond. We should say amen, even when Jesus says, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Well, it, it, it is good news in that the wicked, they, they do get the justice, the recompense promised by God. It's good because God keeps his word, and God doesn't go back on his word. And God keeps even his promises when he declares your sins forgiven and salvation is secured for you in Christ. He doesn't go back on his word. And here the people are hearing the voice of a God who doesn't go back on his promises, and as horrific and as bad as images are, and, and I mean, and they're just extremely destructive, God does see, see them. He sees those that are set up in secret. They're not going to escape, and that's good. We want God to see them. We want God to deal with them. And so for that reason alone, I mean, it's worth, it's worth us saying amen to his good and righteous judgment. That's right. And we do see this scene that is described here in Deuteronomy 27. We see it play out, actually, when the people enter into the Promised Land. In Joshua chapter 8, they do build the altar that was described in the previous text, and it talks about Joshua reading what Moses had written and reading the blessings and the curses. So we actually should have this scene in our mind, the Levites reading these words and the people of Israel responding, Amen, just as it is written here. That takes us into the the second curse in verse 16. Moses says, Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. So we're in the, the fourth commandment here, Pastor Grotowitz. Yeah, you bet. And, you know, we're used to hearing the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother, God telling you what to do. And here, you know, I think the pedal is just really pressed to the floor. You know, honor your father and mother, and cursed be someone who doesn't. And again, the cursed word, we talked about that, the severity of it. The one who dishonors or the one who holds parents in contempt, you know, when I was looking at a definition of that word, I thought it was interesting. One one definition was reject out of pride. So in your pride, you reject the father and the mother because the child thinks he or she knows knows best. And to do that is, is to be cursed by God because you are then rejecting the very representatives God has given to you, he's put in your life, and he wants you to honor them, love, and obey them. And here you're not doing that. And, you know, and I also think in so many respects, we're, we're living under this curse in this land because the, the family unit, you know, is in disarray, but, but so many of our young people have no regards, not just for parents, but even, even authority authority in general just seems to be something young people just don't want to hear any any external authority beyond themselves is is just something that that you know again our young people just aren't listening and hearing and you know that's probably a show unto itself but you know to do that and to go that route is to get a curse by god and the consequences the consequences of young people just not listening and not hearing those teachers God has put in their life. The, the consequences are dire, and I think we're feeling them in today's society. 
um, in, in so many respects. Well, it's St. Paul, when he brings up this commandment, the fourth commandment, that is in, I think it's Ephesians 6, he even makes the point that this is the first commandment that has a promise that it may go well with you and you live long in the land. What we hear in Deuteronomy 27, then, is just the opposite of that. And I suppose, in that, in that sense, we shouldn't be surprised by it. But as you said, we, we certainly should should hold on to the gravity of these words that, I mean, just something that simple, honoring authority has great ramifications. It can be a great blessing when it comes. And, you know, I mean, how blessed that house where parents are honored. And yet at the same time, then the opposite is also true. What great, what great uh, pain and hurt and, and such negative consequences come when that authority is dishonored as Moses is bringing out here in 20, Deuteronomy 27. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a good place, you know, I should have read it before this interview, but Luther in the large catechism of the fourth commandment, is it's just wonderful about this because he does unpack the importance of children listening to those those parents that God has put in their lives and what a good and precious work that is. It's also a work, a teaching we have to impress upon our young people. You know, and this I was talking about this with some of the teachers here yesterday in our devotion because they were having you know, at least one teacher, I mean, she just she had one of those days. I mean, Pastor, the kids just aren't listening. And it certainly hurts her because she's trying to teach them something that's going to help them, and they're just not paying attention to it. So, you know, as, as a headmaster and pastor, I, I never, I, I try never to miss an opportunity to put the fourth commandment before them. And I also try not to, to, to use that commandment above the others, you know, as if that one's right. more important. But it is one that young people struggle with, you know, and so it's, there's always plenty of fodder for my fire, you know, when I'm preaching. The Fourth Commandment does want to come out, you know, and listen, guys, you have to listen. It's not just parents, okay, and we should say that too. Father and mother, yes, to any authority that God has placed in your life for your good, you need to listen to because it is for your good. It goes back to what Paul is promising. It will go well with you, you know, when you try to do the speed limit and you don't text when you drive. It does go well with you when you listen to your teacher in class and you put forth a good effort, like they tell you to do, and you make an A on a test. It does go well with you when you obey your parents. It makes them happy. And, you know, look, your room may be cleaner, your homework gets done on time, and you learn some things along the way. So there, there's plenty of benefits to this. But our sinful flesh wants to reject all of it out of that pride of, of, of thinking, hey, I know better, and my parents don't, so I'm not going to listen to them. I mean, it's, it's a constant fight and struggle. Mm, yeah, well well said, Pastor Agrotowitz, and I appreciate you bringing out again that blessing that is there for those who do honor their parents, who honor that authority that God has given them, for it is for their good. We're going to keep looking at this text on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO, we're talking about Deuteronomy 27 with Pastor Ryan Grotowitz. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? 
expensive, liberal, woke? Imagine a college that is affordable, a college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran, a college that won't take a dime of federal funding, a college that teaches the best of our Western heritage, a college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College, a college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, September 20th. We're studying Deuteronomy chapter 27, verses 9 to 26 with Pastor Ryan Agrotowitz. He serves as associate pastor and headmaster at Grace Lutheran Church and School in Brenham, Texas. Pastor Agrotowitz, we left off in the text with verse 17. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark. Oh, what's in view here? Right. This word landmark can mean boundary, territory, and, you know, it, it is mentioned earlier in Deuteronomy um, in a little more fuller way, so I'm going to just read that. It's in verse 14, chapter 19, verse 14, which you get a little more. You shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So this is at least the second time it occurs in Deuteronomy. And a landmark, it, you know, two things at least come to mind here. One, if somebody's using, excuse me, moving a landmark, um, let's just say a territorial marker, if they're moving it because they want to take more territory for themselves, then you're taking property from your neighbor to enrich yourself, and, and that's bad because, of course, you're hurting your neighbor. And, you know, I, I think about in the times well, well, even in you know ranch wars of various sorts and boundaries and fences and who's moving what, this is a big deal to people of the land because their land is money and their land is their livelihood. And maybe we don't quite think about that um, because a lot of us aren't living in an agrarian an agrarian uh, lifestyle where we're dealing with with land and lines and so forth. But then again, I mean, people fight over property all the time, even the subdivisions and where the fence is. And it's, it's always just taking something that doesn't belong to you when you're trying to move a fence. So there's, there's that aspect to this. You know, taking a neighbor's property, that affects his livelihood. It can have severe ramifications. Uh, the second thing, that if the landmark is indeed an ancient landmark that has a significance to an older generation, there is this real pride in looking at that and thinking, you know what, we don't need that anymore. We can take it down and so you take down the statue, you take down the landmark. There is something to it, I think, to despising generations of old. And that's also a very arrogant way to live, to look at those people who have come before you and just think they're dumb, they don't know what they're doing, and the landmarks that were important to them, we're going to tear them down. It's an attitude that I, that I think on the face of it is not very becoming of God's holy people. So those are those are two elements I would, I would bring out to that, the, the, the pride of just thinking previous generations, you know, we don't need to honor them, we don't need to respect them, we know better, and then if you're moving it, you know, like I said, to take more territory for yourself, mm-hmm. such selfishness is harm to the neighbor, and, and it's no good for you. you. You brought up the parallel text from Deuteronomy chapter 19, and we talked about in that chapter as well, that these, the landmarks, the boundaries for the people of Israel, this was what God himself had set, and we'll read about that in the book of Joshua next, how he lays out which tribe gets what territory, and and behind all of that is the 
the concept, the, the very important background that for the people of Israel, the land doesn't belong to them, it belongs to God. And so not just even pride for generations of, against the generations of old, but pride against what God has set as well. We, we talked about in chapter 19, again, with the, there's an account later in the Old Testament where King Ahab gets Naboth's vineyard. And the reason Naboth won't sell him that vineyard in the first place is because Naboth recognizes this land is not his to sell. It's God's gift to him. And and so something similar, I think, is at play here. And you have that very strong language from Moses, cursed be the one who refuses to recognize God's gift of the land. So take us then into the next verse, verse 18, cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. I think, I mean, that's a very cruel thing to do. What do we see in that verse? Right. And of course, it certainly includes blind men on the road. But, but um, you know, I would put forth this is misleading, leading astray somebody who needs your help, who needs your guidance. You know, a blind man certainly on the road would do that. But I don't think even children are out of play here either. You know, if you think about raising children, they need somebody to help them, to lead them, to guide them. If you put a four-year-old on the road by his or herself, they're, they're, they're not going to make it. They, they need that kind of guidance. And so a verse like this certainly again, applies to blind men, but more than that, at the, at the root of this, it is helping a neighbor who is weaker than yourself, which the Scriptures are, are so often calling us to do, to look at those. We're going to hear about widows, orphans, and the sojourner in the next verse, which is closely tied to this one, but we want to be careful when someone needs our aid, you know, to mislead them and lead them astray when they cannot help themselves. It's just a horrific thing to do, and you know, I just read this verse, and I think about child rearing a lot because, you know, what a parent does for a child is so so important. I mean, education—it really does start in the home. As a church worker, I have just so many times, you know, thought to myself, "Man, if only the parents were doing their job, our jobs would be much easier." So, really, a lot in this verse on how we treat those who need our help—the least of these, even—who cannot who cannot fend for themselves but need our assistance to lead them astray by giving them some sort of false doctrine or just not providing for their needs is um, a horrible thing to do that receives a curse from God. So that thought of helping those who are most in need, that certainly comes up in verse 18 about misleading a blind man, carries over into verse 19. And we have that familiar trio, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. Here the curse is spoken against anyone who perverts justice for these. Take us into this verse. Sure, yeah. So it does segue into 19, and the sojourner, the fathers, and the widow, these would have been at this time, you know, the, the most vulnerable in society, because the sojourner is from a different country, you know, likely doesn't have family, and so he's dependent on people to help them. Um, then you have, you know, the fatherless, the orphan, who has no father and mother to take care of them, and of course the widow, if you were a widow, I mean, there there weren't complex government programs in place to help such people. So they were dependent on the people of God. And here, the people of God are charged to take care of their neighbors and think about their neighbor's interests over and above themselves. So you could really reduce all that to just love thy neighbor as yourself. Uh, and that's what we, we should do. And this charge given to the people was a, was a great blessing and gift to make sure that those who are the weakest in your community, your congregation, society, however you want to designate the grouping, take care of them, watch out for them. And if a sojourner comes, there's a lot in the Old Testament about the sojourner. I mean, that word shows up quite a bit 
And for those foreigners who want to be a part of the Israelite congregation, the Lord does not exclude them. They can come in. Uh, there's the same law for the sojourner as a native. We hear that in, in Exodus. So the people had to take care of them, and that was a charge, and there was a curse if you didn't. As the text continues then into verse 20, there is a, a theme that continues through several of these verses. We're dealing with various sins against the sixth commandment. Uh, start us into those, those curses, verses 20 to 23. Right. Okay, so these are sexual sins, and there's, there's four verses here that talk about this. And, you know, that's important, I think, as well. Sexual morality is mentioned quite a bit in the New Testament, and as I mentioned earlier, it's just it's just a sin that humanity really grapples with, and we, of course, fail in these sins all the time. So the first one, one who lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. You know, marriage is a one-flesh union, so doing this to the wife is shaming the father. Um, it's in Genesis 35 where we see uh, Reuben come into his father's concubine, and in Genesis 49, he does receive a strong uh, curse from his, his father for doing this, so it's, it's, it's not forgotten by Jacob, even as he, he kind of lets it pass in the text, but he doesn't forget, you know, Genesis 49, he mentions that. 1 Corinthians 5 has a case where Paul's dealing with this in, in um, the Corinthian congregation. So uh, it, it gets a curse from God, um, and then, moving into 21, another curse from God, one who lies with any kind of animal. So now we are dealing with bestiality. This is a perversion of God's orders of creation. There are animals, and there are people, and they are not to mix and match. And Deuteronomy uh, you know, wants to keep things distinct and separate according to how God has ordered things, and so for the animal kingdom to collide with... Um, humanity as God has created it is is a gross perversion of orders as God has laid forth. So a blatant rejection and denial of God's Word when this type of sin happens, and it does show just the, the, the carnal base, base desires of our old Adam when, you know, this sin happens. Then in verse 22, you know, more of the same, lying with a sister, more of these ancestral relationships here, they're, they're off limits. And then 20, uh, 23 talks even about a mother-in-law, so maybe she's not related by blood. But still, this is about preserving the family. This is ultimately about preserving that one flesh union between father and mother for the sake of the children. And when such gross horrible, sinful things happen, like the ones mentioned here, it just radically disrupts the family unit, and that's going to affect the society. I mean, society in large is going to be affected when the marriage unit breaks down. And, you know, we could talk about how we're seeing that in our country, just what divorce has done to our children and, and the lives that they have to live in split families. You know, I, I see it here as a, as a pastor. I mean, I'm bringing up this headmaster stuff again, but mm. it is something I deal with when I see these kids growing up in these split families, the complications that it causes, and, and just what they have to go through. And, you know, when sins of this sort are happening, my goodness, I mean, it, it's just the, the gravity, the weight of the um, the severity of this, I mean, it, it we 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 can't overstate it, and you know, it it receives a curse from God because they are rejecting God's order on how to live in a one flesh union by these ancestral relationships, 
uh, you know, going into an in-law is bad, and then, of course, bestiality. And sadly, you know, I, I've heard accounts that such things are happening even in our country. Mm. You know, I, one, one thing that I think is important uh, throughout these curses is that they are tied to the Decalogue, to those Ten Commandments. And the reason I, I think that that's important is because it does help us to understand how this text does still apply to us. You know, on, on the one hand, this is law given to Old Testament Israel, law that has been fulfilled in Christ. And in that sense, we are, you know, we're not bound to these curses in the sense that there's some sort of legal ramifications in this earthly life, like, like there would have been for the Old Testament nation of Israel. On the other hand, because these are tied to the Ten Commandments in the various ways that they are, that we do know that the Ten Commandments as the moral law still very much apply to Christians today. And so when we engage in the things that are spoken of in these verses, we do still reap that negative benefit. That's a weird way of speaking. That negative benefit, we reap what is sown when we engage in in such behavior still today, even if the way that it applies isn't quite the same as it did in Old Testament Israel. And, you know, particularly for, for these four that deal with the matters of the, th- the Sixth Commandment, I, I do think you're right that certainly we're seeing just how awful these actions really do make life for us. Sure. And, you know, I would say, you know, the, the, the argument that <clears throat> the Old Testament really just doesn't apply to us Christians today, right? Because we have Jesus and we have love. That's an argument that, that can be dismantled in many ways. But, you know, I'll point out here, when Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 is dealing with the report of sexual immorality, a man having his father's wife, and that's 1 Corinthians 5, mm. 1, 2, and following, you know, his response is to, to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And he ends that section with saying, put away from yourself the evil person. Well, I think he is operating very much in line with what we're seeing here in, in Deuteronomy 27. Let such a person be accursed. He has been delivered over to Satan, okay, um, purged or, or excommunicated, that's a fine word, from the congregation, you know, I, I can't help but think Deuteronomy 27 is in the mind of the Blessed Apostle, who is anything but treating this text as something that doesn't apply. I think for him it very much does, and, um, and what you said, yeah, we need to keep that in mind, that these curses, this Word of our God, got certainly woven into the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, applies to us, and we need to pay attention to it. Yeah, I mean, bringing up Paul there in 1 Corinthians 5, I think is helpful. He's even quoting from other places in Deuteronomy when he talks about purging the evil from among you. That's a a refrain that Moses mentions several times in that second long sermon with all the various laws. And and again, I I do find it important to, to keep that in mind, because that is one of the attacks that you will hear against Christians when when we speak out against some of the things that are right there in verses 20 through 23 people will say well you know you're you're just picking and choosing when it comes to the old testament and we need to very 
clearly see how, as you said, the Blessed Apostle has these words in mind and is applying them to the church in Corinth. And and even there in, in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, it, it's striking because one of the things he, he tells them is what you're doing— even the pagans know that that's wrong. Even the people who don't care a lick for Deuteronomy, they know what you're doing is wrong. And so he he does appeal to something that, again, what he's saying is this applies for all time. You need to pay attention. We would do well to do the same for us. Right, right. And a, and a quick comment, I mean, for the listener, I just cracked open my um, a, a, another English Bible here, and it's got a concordance. I mean, the purge, or this, this translation from the New King James, put away from yourselves the evil person. You, we have in Deuteronomy 17, it looks like 19, 22, and 24. So that's a strong theme in Deuteronomy that Paul is bringing up in 1 Corinthians 5. So yeah, that just kind of supports that this word here is very much, in the mind of Paul, something that is that is ongoing and perpetual. Okay, very good. Yeah, so um, those are the sexual sins, but if if we're good on those, yeah, let's shall keep, we move on into... Keep going to verses 24, 24 and following, yep. Yeah, okay. So then, you know, moving past those sins, one who strikes down his neighbor in secret. So we see the secretive aspect of that, and I think that's related closely to five, taking a bribe. You know, when people take a bribe, so often that's behind the scenes, that's done in secret as well. And a lot of destruction can be caused to a group when things are done in secret. Christians aren't to operate this way. We're supposed to be transparent and open and to do things in the light as people of the light, not as people of the darkness behind the scenes. And so if you're striking down your neighbor in secret, whatever exactly that looks like, um, that's bad. That gets a curse from God. And then anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood, my goodness, I mean, this is going to happen. Um, It's certainly in Amos, I think the case can be made with all the corruption and bribery going on. It happened then, and it happens today. And it's just a, it's, it's a horrible way to be, and the destruction it causes when somebody is is bribed and they do something they shouldn't do. I mean, we can see good reason why God wants His people not to live and do things in this really dark, secretive manner, because it's just not operating as one of the light. It causes a lot of damage, and when it's done in secret, we think we're getting away with it, and it's very hard to, to prove things done in secret, but God knows and God sees it, and it's not going to escape. It's not going to escape his his word and judgment. Right. I mean, I think that's we we talked a little bit about that with the very first one, the matter of setting up that idol in secret. How you think you're going to get away with it, and maybe maybe you do in this life, but the Lord does know. And I mean, that's a I think a really important theme throughout these curses is that even if you would get away with them, the ones that are a little bit more public or ones like these, which are very obviously secret. The Lord still has seen. The Lord knows, and man, how often in the in the prophets and in the the rest of the the history of the Old Testament do you see someone who's done something in secret? Well, the Lord knows, and so the Lord sends His prophet to call you out. David particularly stands out in my mind, where where David thinks he's gotten away with the adultery and the murder that he's committed. The Lord sends Nathan the prophet to tell him, and I mean this is what the Word of God does to us. It exposes these secrets of our hearts that lays us bare so that we have nothing left but to confess and then receive the Lord's absolution. Yeah, amen to that. Amen to that. And, you know, I, this just, you know, I should have mentioned this too. 
it's innocent blood at that. It's someone who has done no wrong. Yeah. You're taking a bribe, you know, to shed to. I mean, to, to I mean to kill them. I mean, this is Fifth Commandment stuff right here. If you're going to kill somebody at a bribe for money, yeah, sure. I think the David example you brought up is is a great one. Well, take us into the last verse of our text then. And this, I think, almost summarizes everything. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Yeah, sure. So, you know, we're back to the first commandment. You know, the words of God, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Um, He who loves the Lord Jesus Christ will keep his word. And the one who does not confirm the law by doing it, you know, gets a curse again. But, you know, this is... The Lord does not call us to laziness, and he doesn't call us to hear his word, only to disregard it or find some creative creative outlet of, of saying, well, you know, he told me to love my neighbor, but I really can't do that to its fullest, so I'm not going to try. It doesn't really matter. Mm. Here, you know, confirming the law, faith, faith is active. Faith is active. Faith produces that's what faith does. And, and faith does not hear God's Word and just say, well, you know, I really don't have to take this seriously. And what I'm saying here, it, you know, it, is really wrapped up in this verse that, um, you know, we're, we're not, we're not um, being, being uh, you know, swayed by God to just, you know, put our feet up and not <laughs> pay attention to these things. But no, you confirm the words, but, you know, by doing them. Do them before others. Let them see your good works, that they may praise your Father who is in heaven. A city on a hill is not going to be hidden. No one lights a light to put it under a basket. Okay, All right. Plenty of passages that talk about the Christian being a light before others and doing things in the light. Of course we don't do these things to merit you know, God's forgiveness. We don't have to slip into works righteousness here, and shouldn't, and yet still talk about doing God's Word as He has given us to do, taking these things seriously, and not hearing all these curses and just throwing up arms and saying, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, we do, we believe these things, and we hold on to them, and, you know, a good tree, a good tree is going to bear good fruit, because that's what faith does, it produces these things. So, this, you know, you simply put, this is a call to faith, you know, to confirm God's Word by doing His Word, because you believe in that Word, uh, because even going back still, you are a child of God, and we shouldn't you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring that up. This is what the children of God do. Children made so by God himself live lives of faith that does produce, that does produce love towards the neighbor, a love that is going to be expressed in the ways we've talked about today. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, to keep that foundation in mind that we started with in verse 9, where the Lord tells his people to be quiet and listen to him. Why? Because this day they have become his people. They have been made his people. And this is the way in which they will live it out. And the response of faith, again, which we talked about, but is, is important. They respond to all of these, including verse 26, with the words, Amen. They say yes to this, that this word of the law is theirs to do and to receive all of the benefits from it. And so we we shouldn't run into any kind of antinomianism that, you know, going against the law as if it's bad. These things are good to do. We should do them as children of God. We don't want to run into antinomianism. At the same time, we should also 
take refuge in Christ from this verse. And I, I, I do think that it's, it's not a coincidence that St. Paul quotes from this verse in Galatians chapter 3. He, he says in Galatians 3.10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So we don't want to run into antinomianism, but we also can't run the way of pride and think that we have done them perfectly. And, and what St. Paul says there in Galatians 3 is, is certainly applicable to that. Yes, yes, amen. So we have two different ditches. You have legalism on one hand, and then the antinomianism, ah, the law doesn't matter, that on the other side, right. And as baptized people, boy, we're always veering in one ditch or another. Uh, in other words, we sin daily at these things. You know, some days it, it is because we are, just, we, are, we are legalistic and we are relying too much on ourselves. Other days we're not caring as we should. I mean, with Paul, we say, who can, who can save me from this, this wretched body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that, that's how we should end something like this, looking, believing in the God of grace and mercy. Very much a God of grace and mercy here for the Israelites. He wants his people to believe in him, to receive his good things, and from such faith live lives like this. But yes, if you rely upon just how well you do to pull these things off, and, you know, Paul is clear to Galatians, you're, you're under a curse then as well, because you're not trusting in God to save you, but you're trusting in yourself. And that is not the point of these curses right here, to turn people to themselves, but to love their neighbor as the people of God made so by God. You know, another passage that I, that I was thinking, and maybe because it was the memory work for us last week— was Jesus when he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and by keeping, it's holding on to it. And that's what the people of Israel were to do. They were to hold on to it, to obey by hearing, believing, and keeping it always before them, lest they forget these things. And as we see the history of Israel unfold, they are going to forget them. And that's always a good lesson for us, that we hold on to what God has given and repent when we so often don't. Pastor Ryan Agrotowitz is Associate Pastor and Headmaster at Grace Lutheran Church and School in Brenham, Texas, helping us today with Deuteronomy chapter 27, verses 9 to 26. Pastor Agrotowitz, thanks for being our guest today. Pastor Apple, a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. People loved by God, God has made you his children in Christ. And in Christ, you seek to do these things, these good things that God has given you to do. And yet, you know, you know that you do not always do them perfectly. And so you take refuge in your Savior, Jesus Christ, whom Paul says has become the curse for you, so that in him you might have his blessing. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Deuteronomy, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.